This is the Big O Money Show with Bill Altman from the Premier Advisory Group. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Bill provides his clients and prospects with the information they need regarding Social Security, Retirement Income Planning, Wealth Management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals, your money, and your plans in perfect harmony. And now, here is The Big O Money Show with Bill Altman. Good morning and welcome to The Big O Money Show with me, Bill Altman, and Tony Shore as my co-host, as always, here from the Premier Advisory Group right here in Omaha, Nebraska. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest today. His name is John Kaiser, and his, can we say his better half? His better half. Definitely my better half. You would say that, right? (laughs) Better half. Felicia Hutnick was on the show not too long ago. So if you remember Felicia, she was the tennis pro and we talked about all kinds of fun things. And that was what, a couple months ago, maybe at this point, Tony? Yeah, about a month and a half ago. But wow, she had an amazing story to tell. And uh, yeah, it, John, I think you have a lot to live yeah, up to. Yeah, the bars are going to be set a little high, I'm afraid. Yeah, so we're already scaring him early on, <laughs> right? But John actually has a great backstory. And, and you know, so this show is, we're, we're a financial services company here. So we have, a, we have an in-house CPA firm. We're a full fiduciary investment advisory, clear through TD Ameritrade. We have an insurance brokerage. We do a lot of Medicare business, all that fun stuff. Um, but we always like to bring a new element to the show. And a lot of times it ties into financial planning, some sort, right? And today I think it's going to be more of like the grind, right? And because life is a grind, we're always grinding. Tony, you're grinding. Tony's daughter actually just yep. got a full ride scholarship to St. Thomas. Oh, fantastic. Yep. One, uh, Congratulations. There's one, that's one offered. Is there one scholarship that's offered? per year or actually actually there are five scholarships out of 250 yeah so she made it out of 250 so So, and it's a grind yep she grinds tony grinds john grinds felicia's had a grind through to 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 for all the tennis wins and all that kind of stuff their kids they have great kids they have three daughters we've talked about them on the show life is a grind and a lot of people they see this end result, right? And they don't see what happens in the middle, what happens, how it, how you got there, how someone actually got there, but they see the end, right? And they, and they say, well, it must've just been easy all the time, you know, and and with investing the same thing, people see, you know, geez, they've built up a a great nest egg, a great portfolio. It must've just been easy or they must've just inherited it. Right. Did they just inherit it all? You know, that's a common fallacy. I think that that that's always on people's minds and it and it and it. Uh, I think it, it provokes uh, jealousy, unfortunately. Right. And we see that. But it's rarely the case. It's rarely the case that someone got to where they are um, by by accident. A lot of times it was a grind. And so, John, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah. So John is originally from Virginia. Right. Right. So he is now Nebraska moving to Florida soon. Actually, a resident of Florida now. As of this past year. Yeah. Yeah. And if old Pete would have gotten his uh, act together, just kidding, governor. Um, But, you know, our tax rates are crazy here. 
That's the bottom line. And so people are, we, we constantly see, my wife's in real estate, we constantly see people moving out of this state for tax reasons, constantly, all over the place. Property taxes Especially are crazy. Especially as people get closer to right. retirement, too. Yep. I mean, not the best state to retire in as far as right. taxes. We talked about that a couple shows ago. We were talking about our our, yeah. our affordability index here in Nebraska is just fairly poor. You know, but the bottom line is, you know, to get to this end result, it takes a lot of work. So John starts yeah. off and 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 so he he gr- grows up in in Virginia. He he was in Kentucky for a while. You're right. in Cincinnati for a while. You're in Nebraska. Uh you recently retired from UP. Right. Right? So take us Take us through, John. Where did it all start? Well, uh, my dad was a pilot in the Navy, and uh, he he basically uh, he he became a pilot because he he um, he wanted to be a forestry major, believe it or not. But the only way to get through college for him was to join the join the service, and then he was fortunate enough he became a pilot. And uh, but you know I'm the oldest of five, and all, we were all born in a different state within six years. So we moved a ton when we were little. And then I I did grow up in Virginia, Beach, Virginia, because my dad was stationed in Norfolk. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, we were, we never, they didn't, ha- we didn't have a lot of money or any money really growing up. My dad got out of the service and started a family business, though, was selling camping gear and recreational vehicle because he loved forestry. He wanted to be outdoors. And, uh, and that he did, we did well for two or three years. And then the, uh, People don't remember, but the oil Iran crisis thing hit, and literally it became you weren't allowed to buy gasoline for extraneous things like recreational vehicles. So you know, we my my dad's business went bankrupt. How old were you? I was when that happened. I was about fourteen, maybe. Okay, when that happened, and so I oh wow yeah, so I was about fourteen, and uh, and I'm the oldest of the five. So then uh, I was very fortunate because we always had a my dad and mom really instilled great work ethics in all of us. And so we, you know, we used to, but I ended up having a paper route for about four years. I started when I was 12 and, uh, and that really is what, and I had, you know, I ended up going to college, Virginia tech, went in state and I put my way through, got an engineering degree. And I'm so fortunate I had that paper route because without that, <laughs> I just, I mean, I literally nearly dropped out my senior year. I just didn't have the money and my folks weren't able to help out. So, uh, but I was, I was able to finish. And senior year of college, you almost senior dropped year of out. college, yeah. right. I literally, I wow. literally had, uh, well, I mean, well, I literally juggled interviews that last year. And if this is a bad thing, I juggled the interviews and would get the money that you would get for taking the, you know, the trip to travel yeah. and all that. And I ended up with the, when I finally, all the trips stopped, my credit cards were all overdrawn. I had two, I mean, like this wasn't a lot, but it, I was overdrawn and I had no money. So I literally, when I drove out to my first job, I didn't, I was, I traded two tennis rackets for one tank of gas. I traded, um, I mean, I literally didn't have any money. <laughs> so I literally drove across, I got a job in Idaho. It was in the middle of a recession. It was, I had a couple offers, but it was the best I had. But, but I, I, I became a, I was a civilian, but I qualified as a nuclear submarine engineer out there. And uh, we have two, we have an aircraft carrier and a couple of submarines under, under the ground in the deserts of Idaho. Wow. As a national, and it was a, it's a top security clearance thing. You can talk about it these days, but, yeah. but uh, that's what I did for about three and a half, four years, training nuclear submarine operators. I qualified wow. myself and then 
spent that time training them as so how, well. How old were you here? Early 20s? Yeah. So I, I was 22 when I left Virginia, went to Idaho. And then so I was, I was there about three and a half years. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So then the thing about that is you work shift work because it's a 24 hour round the clock kind of job. The submarine's always running. It's literally where you, we would run real drills because the, the point is, is you're out in the middle of the ocean. This was during the Cold War, remember? And, you know, you can't pick up and call a local expert. You have to know how to do anything required in the event there was really a national emergency. So, so we would run fires, reactor spills. We would have hydraulic leaks, electrical fire, electrical shorts. I mean, so I got to be a, it really helped me out for my next role because I got to kind of know how to do a little bit of everything. So what was your next role? Where'd you go from there? Well, it was, it was interesting because, um, my, uh, you, people may not remember, but three mile, when I first went into nuclear, it was going to be the new future of the world, you know, and then sure. three mile Island people may know that was a partial nuclear accident in Pennsylvania that happened a year before I graduated. Okay. And I actually was fortunate enough. They did all the physics testing on that at the facility I worked in Idaho to try to analyze what happened. And I was part of that analysis process. And, and I just kind of was fortunate enough to realize, hey, I think nuclear is going to have a lot of trouble as a future career, which I thought it was going to be a good thing at the time. But it, so I basically ended up, I didn't have a job and, uh, or I had a job, but I quit because I could, only jobs I could find at that point was to work in another nuclear plant. And believe it or not, Bill, I was, I was going to go back to North Carolina and, and, be, and I was going to try to take up financial planning. I was oh, wow. put out a shingle, believe it or not with my best, my college roommate who lived there. He said, come back here and we're going to, he was in real estate and I was going to be a financial planner. Well, turns out that my, uh, the guy I was living with in Idaho, I said, I'd never seen the West coast. So I took a trip, I'd gotten my car with my belongings. I'd already, everything was, what I had was in the car. Yeah. And, uh, I drove to California went in this, and he said, Hey, I want you to meet with my brother. He had a brother there. And this guy says, Hey, I want you to come and talk to him. It was a small company that was a venture capital back there. And they were, they had patent, there were some Stanford professors who'd patented what's now become frankly, the common combined cycle, um, power plants in the country. It's, uh, but it was new then. And, uh, but they couldn't get the, couldn't get it to work. Sure. And so I, they had me drove, I didn't have a suit. I didn't have anything. He said, I want you to come talk to these people because you know how to make these things work don't you? I said, well, I don't know. But I went and got the interview. They hired me on the spot. I ended up not going to Carolina. Uh, and I ended up working there for three and a half, four years. And we got it to work. We got it. We got the technology. It's a long, it's not a, not critical important, but that is now what is used. And when you hear about all these kind of uh, new natural gas fired plants that are in the country now, we were the precursor for that. Wow. So it was kind of a cool deal. So you're, you're the wow. reason for all of that. Uh, that's that's, that's cool. the way I overstated. It's a team effort, but I was yeah. employee number, what, 17? Wow. And, uh, and, sure. uh, and um, long story short, though, is this is, again, a little bit of how the country works or why tax laws are important. Um, the tax laws changed, right? It was Jimmy Carter. Remember, this was Jimmy Carter time to Ronald Reagan time. And uh, they, there was a lot of venture capital tax incentives at that time. When they changed those tax incentives, what we were doing, because at that time, today it's all common. We all talk about buying energy across borders and trading power across the country and all. That was not allowed at that time. But the tax laws changed, the prices dropped, 
and what the, we had backed was no longer really viable as an economic thing. It'd be, it's, you know, to make big money. The venture capitals wanted to make big money. That's not, I didn't understand all that stuff at the time, yeah. but I was an engineer. But, um, but anyway, the, the company ended up, I ended up leading, we sold off the technology, we licensed this, we sold this to that, but I couldn't, we couldn't get an American company to buy it. So I licensed it to the Austrians for the construction modulization. We licensed to Kawasaki for the turbine technology, which they're now the world leader in it, not somebody in the U.S. Wow. And, um, and so we did th- that type of stuff. And then we had also developed, we were the first automated, you know, you basically could run the facility unmanned at that time, which was again, very, very novel because of the technology we had. So, um, so I got my fingers in all these little different things. Sure. And uh, so as we were decided though, that we weren't, it wasn't gonna become a public company. I was very fortunate because the venture backers there were some graduates of, you know, big name schools. And, and I was fortunate enough to apply and get into Stanford Business School from there because that's right where I was living. You have your MBA from Stanford? I do, yeah. Yep. So I was fortunate enough to do that. And you that. met some pretty big hitters too there. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I really felt blessed, fortunate to get in there because it was kind of like yeah. off my, when I was in, when I was an undergraduate at Virginia Tech, this is one of the interviews I remember the most. Uh, I got interviewed by a guy from Texas Instruments, and it was, it, remember, semiconductors were new then. And this is, Tosh, to tell you how old I'm getting, I guess, yeah. right? <laughs> but, what year uh, was this about? This was 1979 when this interview occurred, but mm-hmm. but he came in and he, it was, they now call these stress interviews, but I'd never heard anything about it. And so this guy says, oh, I've just flown in from Stanford, you know, and, uh, California. I just thrown in, and I just interviewed the guy who's got a mechanical engineering, which is my background. Played football on the offensive lineman for the football team, and I was telling my boss, "I've been traveling." Says, "Why the heck am I even here to talk to some?" He literally used the word "hicks" at the time. Hicks from Blacksburg, Virginia. Wow, <laughs> you know, in college. And uh, I'll be honest, I had never heard of Stanford. I thought he meant Samford, which is a college down in Florida. And I'm yeah. going, I'm thinking, I said, I don't think they have an engineering program. <laughs> <laughs> I know they don't have a football team. And so, but I was just, I mean, I got blown out. I did not get a second interview there because I didn't, wow. I was just totally had no idea what was going on. But it was one of those things, Bill, when you talk grind, ever since then I go, when I, I re- left there, you didn't have the internet. I went to the library literally right afterwards and I looked up Stanford and oh. I go, holy crap, that's oh in California. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, uh, and, but ever after that, I said, it was kind of like in the back of my mind says, well, I'll, I can show them. I think I, I, you know, I don't know what this place is, but so it was, it was like, it was just something I remember. I was so proud when I got into Stanford. <laughs> that's amazing. So, you, so that's you're at awesome. Stanford, you put yourself through Stanford. I did. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so what happened after Stanford? Um, I, uh, I met my, you met Felicia. I met Felicia who was living in San Francisco at that time. We met just as I started graduate school and, um, I ended up proposing, you know, as we were graduating and, but we kind of said, again, California was getting expensive. I had debt and, you know, I was in hock again, you know, having to put myself through school. No money. I had no money. I was, you know, you know, Stanford's expensive, and it was one of the best investments I ever made in myself. But I didn't sure. have money, and I didn't. So we had to. So we said, let's. We decided to go somewhere where it was going to be a little less expensive. We were a little older. We wanted to start having kids quickly, and we said California would be tough. So we ended up. I got a job with a company called Emerson Electric, which is in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, they hired me in 
it was a uh, analyst strategy role there. But um, long story short, I was with Emerson about 10 years and had a great career. I was, I started Stan analyst. They ended up making me the director of investor relations there. So I worked, I talked to the people on Wall Street at that time. I worked, got to work directly for the CEO and COO, which is like the best, it was better than my MBA degree. Wow. Getting to meet and just see everything that they deal with. And I, I always say I carried their bags, yeah. right? But I would prep them for their speeches. You know, I, we got Mr. Knight on the cover of Forbes magazine for interviews. You know, I we would, um, you know, obviously talk to the analysts and then just traveled to all of our different subsidiaries to learn about their business plans and, and what are their opportunities and plans and challenges to grow. And we had 55 subsidiaries. So I did that for about two and a half years. And then fortunately I, I was, they, I ended up getting a promotion to be the president of one, the, one of like the smallest ones, which was in Kentucky and uh, moved there with my wife. Now my, my Felicia was now pregnant. My first daughter was born in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. She was now pregnant with our second one who was born in Kentucky. Okay. And then I, I was at that company for a little while. Then I got promoted to a little larger one in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, our third daughter was born there. And so that was working out well, but the, the kind of the, the grind here again, I was working way too much uh, from a balancing family thing. Cause I, sure. I don't know if it's, I don't know how easy it is to this work balance thing is really, yeah. it's tough. I don't, it's, I, had, it I wasn't, I wasn't the best at it. So Felicia and I actually literally ended up, frankly, going to, we ended up having some counseling about it. Because yeah. I the, the last company I was leading, um, we had sales offices in 55 countries around the world, and I was always on the road. And often when I did get back, I mean, I was jet lagged. And, I and mean, this I, was UP? This was Emerson Electric That's still. Emerson still. Yeah, okay. this is, I had 10 years total with Emerson. But the long story short is we basically said, hey, we need to get to us. Felicia grew up in one place yep. in Connecticut we were moving around, I would probably have gotten promoted and transferred again. And so in a way that one of the fellows I worked for at Emerson, he ended up, he got recruited to be the president at Union Pacific. And that unit I was leading in Cincinnati, Emerson decided to divest. I kind of led that divestiture and we split the company and I led that divestiture. And as soon as the tombstone they call it went out in the wall street that the business sold um he he called me the guy from up ike evans was his name great mentor for me and he called me and they recruited me to come here to lead a business and the nice thing about that was my wife began confused where she wasn't where no familiar with where omaha was to be honest but but we said hey this is a place i can go and stay sure raise our kids and give them a stable home life and that's what we did and then we've been here about 20 years and you ran a multi-billion dollar division at up right yeah i ended up running our largest division it's called intermodal it was uh about two billion when i got here it was a little over four billion when i i retired here about three years ago but it yeah wow. so it's a uh it's it was a fascinating business because I was just there at the right time, right? Right. And you had a broker. Right you had a broker, really logistics in foreign countries, and get it all to work and make everybody happy. Uh, I mean, right? Roughly. Yeah. What intermodal is? People go, what is that? But yeah. if if you've ever seen a train and it's got like stacked 
containers on it or it's got trucks on it. Mm-hmm. That's what the mode. That's a mode, a truck or a, tra- a trailer. And what intermodal means, it's multiple modes. So mm-hmm. I would work with the ocean carriers and primarily Asia, some in Europe. Uh, but you know, when you want to get something from China or Vietnam or Japan into the United States, we figured out. Well, we put it on something, and you don't get it here and unload it and empty it. You get it into a conveyance model. You get it here. We would unload it at the ports and get it onto a train, get it into our own facilities, unload it again and get it, not unload it, but take it off the train and put it and then connect it with a truck, which would then deliver it to your local Walmart or Target or uh, Lowe's or, or whoever. I mean, all, all the places you think about, well, furniture, it's all the major furniture. You know, we just, right. every electronics, you know, everything, phones, blah, 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 it all comes, if it's coming from Asia, often we were involved in that logistics move somehow. Right. So you see those big steel shipping containers and you see them on ships and in shipyards and then you see them on trains right. all the time. Union Pacific trains with a two two to four Union Pacific engines pulling them. It's always fun to watch. And then uh, you see them on trucks. They move them from the trains to the trucks and then they get to the warehouses and unload it. It's fascinating. And UP, I have to say, uh, Union Pacific, uh, always been kind of a fan of trains. I grew up on a farm and Next to the railroad, you could stand out in our backyard and watch the trains oh, go exciting, by yeah. um, out in the country there. And, you know, as kids, we'd count the cars, look at the trains, wave at the engineers and things. But my uncle, uh, Verlin Wick, worked oh. for uh, Union Pacific for years and years. And I don't know, treasury or finance, um, He's he's been retired for many years now. He's He's older than yourself, so you probably wouldn't know him. I know they have a lot of employees, but they live there in Omaha, uh-huh. and I would come and visit. And sure. oh, great! So I had a he would always give me gifts of like Union Pacific, you know, <laughs> shirts or hats. Or, yeah, yeah. I had a lot of UP UP merch. Yeah, we had a lot. Of, we have a lot of good swag at UP. So it's yeah. Good. <laughs> oh yeah. So when we yeah. had Felicia on, yeah. she was telling us a story that you know because you've been big in investing and you're in, and I mean you I didn't know this before today that John was at one point going to be a financial planner mm-hmm. and he probably would have been brilliant awesome. at it and you know been incredible sure. because because he is really smart he understands he he's into the detail he wants to completely understand how the watch is built how it works yeah. not just how to tell time so in and felicia sure. would tell us a story about how the girls your daughters they would they would save money they would get to a certain point and then you would kind of take over or take a portion of that and invest it into something right. an index fund or whatever it may be i mean we work so hard to get the money we have yeah. and you got to just be disciplined enough to set some of it aside and then always say make that money work as hard or harder for you than what you did to work to get it so everybody thank you so much for listening all of our loyal listeners we certainly appreciate you tuning in and all you new listeners you can you can find us uh, on our website at uh, bigomoney.com you can listen to old shows you can stream us through spotify or any one of your favorite streaming services or you can listen to us uh, right on 1110 kfab again thank you all so much for listening and we will see you next week All right. Thanks, guys. And that does it for today's episode of The Big O' Money Show with our host, Bill Altman. Thank you for listening to The Big O' Money Show. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Bill Altman at the Premier Advisory Group. Call 402-557-6730 or visit their website at 
P-A-R-A-D-V-I-S-O-R.com. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. Bill Altman and the Premier Advisory Group are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency.